I'm Haley Oaks, and this is Milk Trails. A journey in the out-of-hospital birth experience. Elizabeth is eight weeks postpartum and already wears many hats. She's a new mother to Francesca, a loving partner to Priscilla, and back to work as a somatic sex therapist to her now virtual patients. We talk about her experiences of choosing reciprocal IVF, having a home birth, helping her clients regain sexuality in the postpartum phase, and what social distancing looks like with a newborn baby. Hello. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Good. Um, And you are eight weeks postpartum now? I am. I will be eight weeks on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday. It's Saturday now, which has been a handful of days. Wow. So midpoint of your fourth trimester. You know, it is. I hadn't really thought about it that way. Time has been so, um, I don't know, elastic lately Mm -hmm. (laughs) With with everything going on. But yeah, no, it is. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting to think about it that way. Has um, and you're and you're also back at work, right? I am. Yeah. So I, it was it was not as I planned it to be, um, but I kind of didn't really take much time off of work. It ended up only being about a week and change mm-hmm. because I'm able to work from home and have been for a long time. Mm. I kind of just sort of had a, a brief pause after giving birth and then sort of started scheduling sessions again um, because people were already kind of moving into a hard space given everything happening with COVID and what was going on in people's lives. Yeah. So I've, I've been sort of, I guess, back at work for a while. Wow. So that's so that's so amazing and impressive to like, to kind of, um, I mean, talk about elasticity of like the, the brain going from like mom postpartum recovery to now like uh yeah support person for someone else and health and provider totally it's that's what's been an interesting part of this journey again that i think was pretty unexpected Mm -hmm. to have it work out that way but sort of just happened out of necessity Mm -hmm. um and has had there's sort of been different how that's gone week to week Mm -hmm. so it's been an evolution of sorts Mm -hmm. um so I want to talk to you a little bit more about your work because it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're a somatic sex therapist. Um, mm-hmm. What? Well, first of all, what led you to this work? So I've been working in therapy and counseling for quite a while now. Um, I originally started out as a social worker doing frontline social work, and that was pretty much from um, I just turned 39, um, April 6th. And so I've been doing that since I was 20, gosh, like 20, actually 21. Um, And it started out as volunteer work, and then I ended up moving into the social work field and then sort of went to school for social work. But that transitioned into more counseling, so one-on-one counseling and sort of grassroots organizing around um, the direct interaction with folks. So seeing folks kind of one-on-one and in uh, facilitated groups. So I've been doing stuff of this kind for quite a while, but how I ended up getting into the specialization of this particular field was that I kind of concurrently to doing social work was doing things in sex education, mm-hmm. kind of on the side. So I worked at a sex toy retailer quite many, many months ago, 
and was learning about sex ed and doing things of that kind. And I always felt like those things were not directly compatible mm. and didn't have anything to do with one another. So I kind of kept them as separate as possible. Um, and then over the years, I started to recognize that a lot of my clients, regardless of what was going on with them, at some point they wanted to talk about sexuality or relationships or gender identity and development. And it just kind of kept on coming up over and over again. And I realized that there weren't a lot of people doing that work. Mm. And there weren't a lot of environments where people could focus on that freely and actually get, you know, accurate sex information, support, uh, therapeutic interventions, whatever it was they were looking for. They didn't really have anywhere else to access it. Mm -hmm. So I slowly started to do training that brought those things together. Um, And the somatics came in because, you know, sort of similarly, over a period of time, I noticed that I could only talk to people so much about sex and relationships. A lot of it was really about embodiment and connection and physical sensation and breath work. And, I mean, obviously sex is so much of the body Mm -hmm. that, you know, I could talk through a lot of things and sort of teach a lot of things from a distance and, you know, using pictures and descriptions and stuff. But really what people were, I think, needing to kind of move things to the next level in their growth was physical practices that they could focus on and try and take away from a session to enhance what was going on for them mm-hmm. and help them, you know, kind of grow and learn. So that took my training in the direction of um, sensate focus mm-hmm. and somatic work and embodiment. And at that time, kind of all coupled with that, I became a yoga instructor and learned a lot about body work and breath work that way. So it all kind of got folded into one mishmash um Mm. and I have a lot of people ask me they're like okay well where can I go to school for this and Mm. how can I do this and you know it's getting a lot better that there are more and more places where you can kind of just go straight for it but in my case I sort of ended up bringing a lot of different things together over many years Mm -hmm. and kind of making my own thing uh based on all of the experience and education and training that I have had which is beautiful. I mean, that's sort of, I think, sometimes the best training, you know, for things to yeah. organically kind of come up and, you know, answer to that sort of calling and then move in that direction. Thank you. Yeah, I feel I feel very much in my purpose with the work. And I, you know, I'm fond of telling friends and, and people that I love, like, it's talking about sex and sexuality and working with people. I mean, I never get tired of talking about that. Mm-hmm. It's always endlessly interesting to me. I think I always feel very humbled and really honored that people share what they share with me and do the work that they do with me. Mm. And I think sexuality in our society, you know, especially in, in the Western world, is still very very closeted in a lot of ways and very not free to talk about and there is not so much freedom of expression so being able to be in this space with people is always absolutely amazing mm-hmm. and I feel really grateful to be able to do the work and mm-hmm. that people trust me to work with me mm-hmm. yeah I mean and so what do you find or what have you found to be the most common reasons for people to seek out your support Probably the most common reason is aspects of a relationship, um, either feeling like, you know, the individual feeling like they're kind of coming up short in 
expressing themselves or having their needs met or being able to kind of be sexual and engage in ways that they want to mm-hmm. or having their partner um, having had expressed that they feel that way. Mm. So partners sort of saying, you know, I need more, I want to do more, I want you to learn about this or maybe this is an area where I want you to grow, where I want us to grow. I work with individuals and couples, so I see kind of different varieties of that. But usually it's people who have um, experienced something as a result of an interaction or a relationship, that then they feel they want to explore that, learn about it, uh, heal from it, kind of get into it and move past that, either on their own or in that relationship. Mm. And that was followed a different ways. I think, um, without generalizing, which I try not to do, it does look a little bit different along gender lines. Mm-hmm. So the things that maybe male-identified folks come to explore in that way is different than female-identified folks. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with both, um, you know, what men and women, um, you know, and folks of all genders are given permission around, Mm. what they have freedom to talk about and explore and work on and look at, and also what they're told they should, you know, so Mm -hmm. there's things that men learn, okay, they're supposed to be this way and they should be this way, and things that, you know, women learn and um, queer folks, trans folks, there's some stereotypes that people, I think, are oftentimes forced to engage with, Mm. so they will kind of back up against that at some point and that's usually when talking about it working on it getting into it and hopefully changing their experience around it is something that they maybe feel is important or necessary or that they can prioritize at that time Mm. um have you ever worked with anyone experience who has experienced um trauma and specifically birth trauma in sort of resolving those you know the the emotion and fi- the emotional and physical uh, piece of that. Yeah, so it's actually really interesting because I was thinking about that sort of as a result of my own experience recently. Mm. I, you know, I don't think. Well, I, I will say that I have not had anybody come to me specifically for birth trauma, so self-identifying as having had birth trauma mm. or to work on that in particular. But what I think I'm kind of realizing now as a result of, you know, having been pregnant and given birth and watched so many of my friends give birth, I think that a lot of what um, folks were coming with to talk about maybe was sort of unidentified birth trauma. Mm -hmm. So residual experiences and sort of a physical sense of their body and disconnection or lack of sensation or pain maybe as a result of what happened during birth and sort of subsequent to birth, mm-hmm. but not necessarily having had language for that, not naming it that way, or maybe not even wanting to name it that way mm. with me. So it, it's kind of given me sort of a retrospective look on the work that I've done with people because I, I work with folks who have experienced trauma or are sort of having traumatic reactions pretty frequently. I mm. say that's a good 80 plus percent of the work I do involves some exploration of trauma, physical and emotional. Mm-hmm. But again, um, there hasn't been so much direct language as trauma relating to birth. Now, what I will say is most common in sort of associated birth experiences I've worked with are um, women, female-identified folks who are looking to um, regain their sexuality or mm. regain a sense of sexual self. Mm. So feel feel an interest in sex again, feel a physical connection to their body, um, 
usually when they come to see me, it's a sense of kind of getting things back. Mm-hmm. So going back to maybe how they felt before, what sex was like before, the sense of themselves before. And a lot of that work is actually, to some extent, working through the sense of loss of that mm. and the trauma of maybe not feeling that way anymore. And then rather than continuing to focus on the comparison of what used to be and what is now, a lot of that work then looks like, okay, from here, moving forward, what is new mm-hmm. and what can feel you know, good and positive? What does pleasure feel like now? what is possible for pleasure to feel like that is not solely comparative to Mm. the past or what it used to, Mm -hmm. but how things are evolving and moving forward. Mm. And so that work does really involve, um, you know, like I mentioned, a lot of grieving and letting go and um, sort of a shift in identity and some amount of loss of former self and almost metamorphosis and exploration of that into new self and future self. Because that's so, you know, that's so important, I think, because there, you know, six weeks of, um, there's six weeks of care with your care provider after you give birth, Mm -hmm. um, but you're still considered postpartum for a year. And in that time, you know, you're still trying to, um, yeah, trying to integrate both your postpartum body self with um, this mother self to this new, um, yeah, this this new person, um, and yeah. and how to how to yeah how not to compare and how to kind of accept the new, um, which no one really yeah. talks about because yeah, after six weeks it's like goodbye and and then you're left with probably a lot of emotions around of like shame or guilt or confusion and you know or just resentment and um so that's really really fascinating I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it um which is great yeah there's definitely I think mostly it's mostly kind of two parts it's the space and ability that a person has to learn about their body and actually spend time in their body, which is really hard mm. when there's a tiny creature that's always physically dependent, mm-hmm. right? And there's just not a lot of, there's, I mean, I was about to say there's not a lot of time. I think most of the time there's not any time, mm-hmm. right? It's like the end of the day before you go to bed and the exhaustion is there. So to say, oh, okay, you take an hour before you go to bed to spend time in your body and feel what you can feel and do sensate exercises is really great in theory and sometimes it's possible mm. but a lot of times it's not possible mm-hmm. just the energy and the capacity is not there so there's that kind of feeling into what feels different and what's new and what sensations can feel like but then there is the aspect of identity and expectation mm-hmm. so the the self-judgment pieces the socio-cultural judgment pieces of you know, how you're supposed to look, mm. what it's supposed to feel like, what you're supposed to be available to, this idea that, okay, you can't have sex for six weeks because your body's healing, but then sort of, you know, magically at six weeks, it's <laughs> fine and great and it happens and then you just do it and you go back to it, right? Mm-hmm. All these ideas that are at play about the shirts and supposed to. And then oftentimes there's partners, right? Mm-hmm. Who are going through their own transition and their own experience and they want connection and they have expectations and they have judgments or preconceived ideas. And so how, you know, the person who has a pregnant body and gave birth 
is engaging with that person, mm-hmm. engaging with their partner. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of those two layers to it, and it's a lot to work through and, again, have space to consider. And like you said, there's not a lot of conversation about that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of ideas about it mm-hmm. and a lot of, again, shoulds and supposed tos about it, but not a lot of space to think about it, you know, practice in it, feel into it, be a mess about it, mm. be emotional about it, you know. Um, like, for instance, I, I feel like even just sort of saying this seems very out of the box. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would love a conversation about masturbation post-childbirth. Mm-hmm. Like, how the hell does that feel for you? And right. what is that like? And, you know, how was the first time you did that? And did you feel scared to do that? And what was mm. that like for you? And did you compare? And just even that's just one, you know, small corner of it. But it would be so cool if that was something that people could talk about with their care providers or say, like, I want to talk to my girlfriends about this, or there is a place I can access information about this or a conversation, and so that kind of stuff just doesn't, unfortunately, really exist in a, in a big way yeah, or in an accessible way. Yeah. It is, it, it, and it's just such a constant theme of of like death and rebirth, you know, with, with, with like starting from conception, you know, of like the, Uh the excitement and all the emotions and that come with finding out you're pregnant, but then also mourning now the loss of your independent body, you know, and so on and so forth into, into labor, um, into the immediate postpartum with, with breastfeeding and physically recovering. But then there, there is that like post, um, post postpartum, you know, in which it's now this piece of like, okay, yeah, the integration of, of this new self. Um, and it's so, it just, it's such a constant reminder that, yeah, like things are, everything's always temporary and nothing is ever staying the same. And so it's like just having the grace to like sink into that and not hold yourself to this, you know, tight grip of, yeah, like you said, the judgment who you're supposed to be and all those things, but it's easier said than done, obviously. Um, so speaking of, you know, transitions, um, you, I wanted to ask how your pregnancy was given that you are also a dancer and, um, Uh how, how was it being pregnant and feeling all those changes and, and feeling and being someone who's so, aware of your of your body and and taking time to kind of sit with your body and how how was that for you um I I think on the whole really loved a lot about being pregnant um I think that so my partner and I did reciprocal IVF Mm -hmm. and we used um, my partner's Priscilla's egg which I carried so I think for from my experience of being pregnant, there was the aspect of having gone through IVF and kind of focusing a lot on receiving the embryo and then mm. keeping it. Mm. So I recognized that with the process of sort of readying um, my womb for receiving the embryo, there was the buildup of that, and then there were the many, many days of, um, you know, medication and shots afterwards. Mm-hmm. So that definitely kind of factors into what I physically experienced about getting pregnant and I realized somewhat during that time but looking back on it that I definitely had a sort of low grade fear during that period of time Mm. of really you know kind of quote-unquote like wanting it to stick 
and wanting everything to be okay. And so that sort of always was, you know, underpinning my physical experience. So feeling very aware of my body, really trying to take as good care of myself as possible and kind of, you know, give everything the best chance possible, be be the best house and the best environment mm-hmm. possible for the baby. And I felt very sort of for this physical purpose a lot mm-hmm. early on in pregnancy. And I really liked that. It felt like I was physically kind of connected to something bigger than myself. Mm. I felt very open to, like, the energy around me, what was going on, a lot of sensations, noticing just about everything. Mm. And I think sort of simultaneously trying not to worry about everything. It's like, oh, what's that twin? And what's that feeling? And, okay, now I'm really tired. Does that mean I'm pregnant? And, mm-hmm. you know, everything. I was really, really aware of what was going on. And then once I found out I was pregnant, um, I think sort of a general nervousness there about, you know, staying pregnant, everything being okay, but also just feeling so excited, really overjoyed. Um, I did have some nausea early on in my pregnancy, not terrible, um, but somewhat interestingly, prior to getting pregnant, I had a um, really strong aversion, almost phobia, to um, being nauseous and throwing up. Oh, wow. And... Yeah, I hated it. I I would do absolutely anything to not throw up as, you know, as a person. I was totally that person that if I ever, you know, drank too much or got really nauseous, I would actually go sit in the corner and rock myself for, you know, two, three hours rather than vomit um, because I hated it so much. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, this is probably going to happen. I have to get with it, you know, and I think a good thing there is that it sort of cured me of that because I got very matter-of-fact about it. Mm. I was like, oh all right, this is happening. And the way my partner would describe it as is that my eyes would kind of glaze over. I would stop eating or talking or whatever I was doing, and I would just, like, get myself up and march to the bathroom. <laughs> and then I would just come back. She'd be like, oh, okay, did that happen? You just looked very matter-of-fact about it. And so I just I kind of got over that phobia, which I guess is a good mm-hmm. plus out of that. Right. There's a um, win somewhere in there. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a silver lining to that situation. So, and it was it was not bad. I definitely want to give credit to women who have you know hyperemesis or anything like that or really frequent nausea because it was not at mm-hmm. all that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely something that I noticed and sort of physically was impactful. I really um, find food to be very pleasurable, and I really enjoy eating. And so not feeling that same kind of pleasure in it. Like being very hungry, but also being kind of worried that maybe I would get nauseous was interesting. So I was pretty happy when that passed. And then really, you know, my second and even into my third trimester, especially once I could feel um, the baby move, I was, that was great. Mm -hmm. From that point on, I was like, this is absolutely amazing. I loved to just kind of hang out and feel her. Um, do things to kind of make her move a little bit more, just sort of spend that time. Um, and, and sexually, it was a really, really great time. I had a super high libido, felt really interested all the time. It felt very sexy, which was great, mm-hmm. um, even more than usual. And so I loved that. And I was like, this is so fantastic. And I really enjoyed um, having more curves and sort of physically feeling that way mm. about my body because that was something that was kind of different for me. So I think, you know, just physically in terms of embodiment and sensation, there was so much that was really, really, really great. And actually, 
toward the end of my pregnancy, I found myself starting to feel really sad about not being pregnant anymore, which I know is not the most common experience. Mm-hmm. And most people sort of said, you know, you're going to get so uncomfortable, you're going to want to not be pregnant anymore. But I actually mostly had a feeling of not wanting, like wanting my daughter to be out and healthy and safe and everything, but kind of wanting to keep her, mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say often that I wished that it was sort of more like a kangaroo situation <laughs> where I could birth her and then just put her back in. That's what I wanted to. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, you're out, and that's great, because I really do. Toward the end, I was like, okay, I want to hold you. I want to see what you look like. Like, yeah. I want to be able to cuddle you, but wouldn't that be great if I could be pregnant sometimes, mm-hmm. and not other times? Um, and I did end up, after her birth, having a period of probably about two weeks where, in terms of some amount of, you know, mourning and loss, I really did have a hard time with going from being pregnant to just not being pregnant. Yeah. That that her birth really marked what kind of felt like um, almost falling off a cliff. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you're here, and then you're not. And mm. it's over, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I, I don't think I realized that that would be, you know, pregnancy is getting pregnant and then really growing into being pregnant. Mm. And then it just stops. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of wild for me personally in a way that I had expected, but physically felt really different. Um, and so there were definitely some times of, you know, crying in the shower and touching my belly and kind of trying to move through feeling really sad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, coupled, coupled with the gratitude of birth and having her here. And so it was kind of, it was a complicated time mm-hmm. of feeling both those things at the same time. Which is so, I mean, I think is such the um, nature around becoming a parent is that you do hold like two different truths at the same time. You know, something that Britta Bushnell always talks about is like, you can be sad and feel so grateful. And that is such like, it's such, it's so jarring to the psyche when, when we, when we experience both things, you know, it's like, what do we, how do we categorize where, how do we, you know, how do we cope with both of these things? And so, but more and more I find as I talk to, you know, birthing people and, and families and it's like that is – and new parents, like that's just such a common um, thread that it's like you're going to feel yeah. all the, all these things all at the same time and probably oh gosh, every day. Every day. <laughs> you know, yeah, every day. and obviously compounded now by, you know, a global pandemic, which is already you're in the like space of – unknown in the sense that you you know every day your daughter changes and and um and then in addition to that you know it's the world is is upside down seemingly so it's it's, definitely it's hard and I feel like this is really a collective time of that and I hear that from so many people you know where folks are looking at all that they have to be grateful for or all that they feel grateful about and are really wanting to kind of hold tight to mm-hmm. while also feeling really sad about a lot of this mm-hmm. and it's maybe a little bit different for every person but very much collectively like that you know and I feel that too there's a there's a lot to be grateful for at this time you know like I've I've really lost track of the people sort of saying oh my gosh this is so great you have all this time with your baby you know and you have like the perfect sort of insular time to be with her and spend that and I feel that so deeply I'm so grateful because even though I am working, you know, my partner's home and it's kind of like an extended leave for both of us. Mm -hmm. And so I always want to 
be in gratitude for that, but I'm also really sad to not, you know, none of my friends have met my baby, Mm -hmm. and my parents can't hold her, and my partner's parents can't hold her, and, you know, so much stuff can't happen, and I feel like that's just, you know, one version of millions of versions for people that are very similar. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm okay, and I have my health, but, you know, I've lost my job, or... Mm -hmm. I have a safe place to live, but I can't see these people who I need to, you know, and I really, I feel so much, especially right now for pregnant people. Mm-hmm. And I know that that is a huge thing that's being talked about and looked at. And, um, I do feel really grateful for some, to some extent how this timing worked out in terms of my birth, mm-hmm. but also that it is really sad to not be around my people and to not be connected and to be somewhat isolated in postpartum, um, in a way that's been, been pretty hard. Yeah. It really kind of highlights how unnatural it is to be alone when you have a new baby and, um, how much it is, it's never been that way and how, and really, yeah, yeah, how hard it is. And, um, I mean, yeah, that's probably been the biggest shift that you've seen in your postpartum experience, like going from family coming over to helping to like that coming to a hard stop. Yeah, and it, it was interesting because I, so really in the timing of everything, because I gave birth on March 3rd, mm-hmm. there was about, I think about 10 days. And so somewhat luckily during that time, you know, my parents came right when she was born and my partner's parents came. And so they all saw her, and then we had some family visits. And actually, we had some visits where we sort of decided to invite people over pretty regularly during that time. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was sort of surprised to find out that it was a bit too much. Mm. And and I was like, oh, I I would feel really anxious when people were here, and, like, I wasn't ready to share her, and I didn't want to have the time with maybe other people holding her so much or, you know, that I needed that more of that connection and to be a little bit more insular. Mm -hmm. And... And then this all happened, and then it became very insular. Mm-hmm. You know, 100% of the time was mm-hmm. like, there will be no more people. So I feel like I sort of had a want for that, and then I got that full time. And right. I was like, no, I'm, I'm ready. Like, I want someone to come hold my baby. Oh, and, no. It's like asking, you, know, you shall I receive. I want everyone to know her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first 40 days for sure, I think I had conceptualized. Once this all happened, I was like, okay this is really going to be a lay-in and this is going to be the first 40 days and can I approach this like it's a gift and can I change my perspective? And that helped a little bit. Mm. But as it started to get closer to that, I was like, oh, okay, not, now I don't, now I don't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. now it's time to open up and, um, I'm definitely just missing my friends and community. And I really have, I think, learned from the inside that, sort of the more village mentality and structure has a lot of benefits to it. And I think on a whole, there's some interesting questions there about how sort of nuclear families are, especially, you know, again, in the Western world and why it is great under available circumstances to have more care and more support and Mm -hmm. especially a community of, of maybe, you know, women, female identified folks to be involved and mm-hmm. other moms and people who've given birth. So if I was available, I do really see so much of the benefit to that. And I hope that whatever this looks like time-wise, I can connect to some of that in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
talking about your family, I wanted to know uh-huh. what was their take on on you having um, a home birth, or you and your partner having a home birth. So I think first and foremost, um, well, I, I guess I would say as an overview, I'm kind of a bit of a black sheep in my family, mm-hmm. and have definitely always kind of done things my own way, which has generally been a relatively unconventional way. Mm-hmm. So I think to some extent my family is on the whole used to me um, kind of going off road to do what I want to do mm-hmm. and bringing and bringing some out of the box thinking to, you know, my life and choices. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was super unexpected that I had a want to do things um, maybe somewhat different differently. But my mom and dad both had... I think some, you know, some concerns, but they were not, they were not super vocal about it. They didn't really push back a whole lot. I think most of the time, especially with my mom being worried about it, um, she kind of kept it to herself, but it would sort of come up in various different conversations or wanting reinforcement, asking a lot of questions. And I could tell that she had some major trepidation about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized at this point, uh, which is, which is interesting. I think it's, kind of interesting as an adult to learn about one's mother's birth trauma, Mm. but I realized that there was a lot that she hadn't really shared with me about the particulars of my birth, and I realized sort of through choosing to have a home birth that he was bringing up a lot of her birth trauma. Um, She had an emergency cesarean with me, and I realized now in... So we, we never sort of sat down where she shared it and, and said, this is what happened, but things would just kind of pop up in conversation. Mm. And I was really surprised, you know, it was, it was the response of, oh my gosh, you never told me that before, and I didn't know that, and that's amazing. And a lot of her trepidation about homeless was really from having had that experience that she was kind of told and had it happen that... I was not okay inside her, mm. and that had she not been at the hospital, I may or may not have been okay, ultimately. Mm. So I think, and and I think now looking back on it, she's not entirely sure that that was true, that that was actually what was going on, or actually what needed to happen, but that was sort of how it was explained to her at the time. Mm. So her major concern, and then my dad's concern, you know, having been out in, out in the sort of waiting room when I was born, because um, dads weren't allowed to go in for cesareans at that time. Both of them were worried about what could happen if I was at home mm-hmm. and something wasn't okay with the baby. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think my partner's parents were maybe similarly concerned, but being my partner's parents, they maybe felt a little bit less like they could kind of push back or intervene at all. So, so it was an open space to kind of continue to make the choice that I wanted to make, but also really helping my mom and dad feel okay about it, helping everybody kind of feel more calm about it. And what really made a difference was, um, I think it was maybe two months before my birth, uh, they met my midwife, Sarah Howard, and she went over everything and explained everything, and she and my mom, you know, bonded. And my mom absolutely loved her. And actually, at that time, I was there and just kind of, you know, hung out a little bit. But she kind of got to share a lot of her birth experience with Sarah, mm-hmm. and it sort of felt like it was a therapeutic experience for her to do that. Mm-hmm. And after that moment, then it was a lot easier. And But it always was like, oh, well, I feel okay because I love Sarah. Mm-hmm. You're going to be fine. And she's, she's got you. And so she felt really safe and supported by, you know, my birth team 
and that made a really big difference. Mm-hmm. So, so that was super helpful. Um, and then it was great. And then otherwise, all I really fielded from people was a generally shocked reaction about about pain. Right, right. very universal response I think I mean hopefully yeah. not so much in the in the future but yes yeah definitely um what at what point did you decide that home birth was um was for you was for you too so I've pretty much always wanted to have a home birth um I wanted to keep it as I don't know kind of open as possible in having that want and trying to manifest that for myself without feeling really super attached to it, just kind of not knowing, like, okay, we'll see what happens with my pregnancy, and we'll see if that's available, and if it's possible to do that, but really kind of trying as much as possible to direct things in that way, Mm. and I think I first heard about home birth um, when I watched The Business of Being Born, Mm -hmm. which I know is a pretty formative film for a lot of people, and you know, I can't remember where I even saw it or how I came across it, but that kind of took me to um, Anna Mae Gaskin's work and reading some of her books and just feeling really interested in sort of birth as a transformative experience and birth as an experience that was not medicalized as dangerous or problematic. Mm-hmm. And, and really, I think that that even started, um, I read a book, gosh, it must have been 14 or 15, wow. um, called Cunts, and it, it's this amazing book. I don't even know if it's in print anymore, but it had a similar sort of take on menstruation and menstrual cycles as not being problematic Mm. and not being scary because it was a sort of natural experience of the body. Mm -hmm. And when I first read that book, it was like, oh, okay, you know, it's sort of said cramps are for a purpose, and when they're painful, you know, there's things going on that don't need to be, doesn't need to be like, this is scary or this is bad, and how that kind of detaches a person from their physical experience of their body rather than allows exploration of it for a positive experience like okay I'm having cramps and I can feel empowered to connect to that and change that for myself if I want to rather than this is a problem where my body's doing something bad to me and so I think I got that framework pretty young and when I watched the business of being born and then started reading books I was like oh this is really similar you know I mean millions and millions and millions of people have given birth Mm-hmm. And it's something that we generally want to do, and it happens pretty naturally. And so why this perspective, why does it exist this perspective now that it's scary or that it happens to women and it has to be super painful and it has to be kind of um, 
really structured and really kind of rigidly handled. Mm-hmm. Like, why does that have to be the perspective? So pretty much with that in mind, I really just thought I would love, if possible, to have a birth where whatever needs to happen can happen and I can do kind of generally whatever I want, you know, move however I want, vocalize however I want, um, be wherever I want, eat, not eat, um, that to some extent, not completely, but maybe more, I'm not going to be, you know, confined or told what to do or pushed into anything, um, you know, with some amount of force that doesn't feel right size for me. Mm-hmm. And I realize that that is to some extent about, you know, control and wanting to have control. So mm-hmm. wanting to have freedom is, is wanting to, you know, have my own control and not have someone control me. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's really what it was about. And I think that the more my life kind of got in alignment with somatics and uh, sensate experiencing and feeling such a relationship to my body, I became more wanting that to be my birth experience and probably getting more and more avoidant of that not being my birth experience. Mm -hmm. So I definitely did have some fear about going to the hospital or about that happening and being pregnant was a pretty constant work on not being afraid of that, opening to that, considering that as a possibility, working with my midwife about that but also sort of saying, like, let's try for this as best as possible if this can happen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people would ask me, they say, oh, would you, are you going to have a tub? Do you really want to birth in water? And I would say, yeah, no, we're going to have a tub because why not have the tub? But I don't really care how it goes in the home environment. I would just like to have the space to do whatever happens. Mm-hmm. And to just go with absolutely whatever happens. So if the water feels good and it's that time and the baby comes out in water, awesome. I don't need to really attach to how it goes. I would just like to be able to have this really open, free space to just kind of go with it and flow, Mm -hmm. basically. And that is so much of, you know, choosing a home birth. It's like controlling what you can to, you know, curate a space to then let go Mm -hmm. completely. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's like, so it's so it's 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 an it's an interesting like, you know, talk about holding two different truths. It's like you are controlling things, but then to be autonomous and independent. Yeah. And and so um, it's uh, that's that's so much of the language of, of home birthers. And so it's so wonderful to hear that that was. Yeah. Like you trusted that um, desire to feel that and that you didn't want or need external things to dictate you know the how it how it how it's going to go yeah I liked a lot of what I had read about um not how birth should go but just how birth kind of does end up going mm-hmm. and that was a lot of um you know sort of a small space a darker space um room to move I I actually ended up before my birth watching a lot of animal birthing videos Mm -hmm. because I felt really sort of connected to that and to the imagery and the energetic experience of animals just really kind of doing whatever Mm -hmm. and and moving and putting the you know putting their bodies wherever they wanted to 
and it was really a lot of like, okay, how has this gone for a lot of people? Mm-hmm. And not feeling like, okay, it has to go that way for me, but could I create an opportunity to do those things? And so I think just, unfortunately, what it challenges is that in hospitals, there's so much that's really amazing about birth and the fact that it's lowered, you know, the maternal death rate and infant mortality rates and made birth so much safer in a lot of ways. But that, you know, hospital rooms are usually pretty brightly lit and there's people coming in and out and the space is just a little less choiceful. So it's, you know, in that, I think, kind of our theme, I guess, those two things being true. Mm-hmm. It's like hospitals are so amazing for birth on so many levels, mm-hmm. but they also don't necessarily allow for other things mm-hmm. to happen. Mm-hmm. And so if I felt like, oh, I'd really like for those other things to happen and for to check that out and be able to try that, then this is the best environment for me to maybe do that. Mm-hmm. And if I do go in the hospital, I know some of what that's going to look like, and there's going to be a lot of benefits there. But these are maybe the benefits that I'm choosing for myself first to to check out. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely more of, like, I kind of want the, I guess, almost more animal experience. Mm-hmm. Or the more just, like, body doing what body does mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what's, you know, amazing That is that, I mean... Yes, you do. You have a choice. I mean, it's not it's not necessarily a right in this country yet, you know, as far as like getting uh, a home birth midwife and and even in every state, it's not even legal. But um, but I think it's amazing that um, you can, you know, you can choose to um, if you want to go that way, like the animalistic way of feeling what you're feeling and in your body, then then you can. And, And I think and I don't think home birth is for everyone. And I think that's really the purpose of this, of this podcast is like to share stories, to share what birth is like when sort of untouched. And if that feels like safe for you, then, you know, then that maybe is a road you, you kind of venture down. And otherwise it's like, it gives you more information to say like, okay, great. I'm now, I'm like, I'm all about the hospital birth and epidural and yada, yada, you know, but not to feel, um, you know, not to feel like, something happens unexpectedly, which is scary and, and, um, you know, so, um, but yes, there's so many things, what you said that are amazing and so true. And, um, I think, you know, going back to the menstrual cycles and the parallels of that with, um, you know, how we view birth in this country for sure, you know, the pain, the pain with the purpose is so different to just pain and, um, and that's something yeah. that I think at the bottom line of of birthing folks is that like it's, it's like you have to undo that wiring. But if you're in a space that like kind of is always like alarms are going off, it does feel like there's something wrong a lot of the time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. so yeah, knowing knowing yourself and knowing that that was, yeah, the way you wanted to go, which is amazing. And, and yeah. how yeah. was... Priscilla with all this where was she and her thoughts and ideas about home birth and midwives and yeah well I so Priscilla has kind of an interesting story in that when we started dating um I was out of a previous relationship where when I left that relationship I was pretty much deeply committed to just having a baby as a single person Mm. so when we when we started dating um that was a big part of our initial um sort of 
story and narrative with each other was I was like, okay, I'm going to have a baby and we can date mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can, you know, you can date me and I'm going to get pregnant. This is, you know, I'm going to do this thing by myself basically. And like, you can kind of hang out over here and we can date. And probably, you know, someone not surprisingly, she was like, yeah, I don't really know how that's going to work out. Because um, I really like you, and I don't actually think that I'm probably just going to sort of stand on the sidelines mm-hmm. and, like, not be invested in your kid and whatever. So all that to say that we had sort of birth and pregnancy and conception as a big topic of conversation from the beginning wow. of our relationship. And... You know, I talked kind of openly about my ideas, and I was holding very tight to my dreams and and things that I wanted to kind of have happen for myself from the beginning. So she got a lot of information about that, and she was not super familiar with it prior to that, Um, definitely because I had been kind of steeped in conception and, and birthing and parenthood and learning about that for a big period of time. Um, I had a lot of knowledge that she came around to. Um, I'm also nine and a half years older than her, so I kind of have been in it for a lot longer, mm. which was another reason why I was like, oh, I'll just have a baby by myself, because I was like, oh, you're, you know, you're younger, you should just have fun, I'm going to have a baby, we can hang out, you know? Um, and wow. so she, yeah, so she did a lot of, I think, what I would sort of say is like a very lovely and generous catching up yeah. around everything babies. And she was really, you know, super supportive and very interested. And I think because she didn't have any preconceived ideas about it, and generally, you know, if she were to tell it, she was not, um, so being a queer identified person, Priscilla had never wanted to carry a child herself. Mm-hmm. So I think that there was sort of generally some, and, and I know this to be somewhat true for folks who maybe don't want to carry, is there's a question about what parenthood will look like. Mm. for them, mm-hmm. you know, and how and how that will manifest. So for Priscilla, she was like, well, I didn't learn a ton about it because I didn't know how I would maybe have a child mm. and what that would look like. So she was really very supportive, didn't have any preconceived ideas, got really on board with stuff, and I think definitely had questions and was interested in it, but was never super anti or particularly uh, fearful or worried about it for herself. Um, And actually, over the course of my pregnancy, I think worked sometimes even harder than me to try and manifest home birth Mm. for for me and for us, knowing that it was really important to me that I did want to do it. You know, she had had all those years of me kind of talking about why I thought it was great and why I was interested in it. And so, um, you know, started with classes, we took a, um, it's called Kin, and it's a class at Loom in Los Angeles, and that was our first sort of pregnancy conception class we took, and that's actually where we met, uh, who would be our midwife, Sarah Howard, mm. and so from there, Priscilla kind of dove in and just learned all of the things, and ended up reading a lot of books during pregnancy, and um, was really great about a lot of it, and I think wow. if, you know, I asked her subsequently, I was like, oh, were you worried, and yeah, she was like, of course I was worried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Super scared the whole time, but I wasn't going to talk to you about that so yeah. much, you know, while you were pregnant. Um, so I think she talked to other people and, and kind of had those conversations elsewhere um, in order to be as gung-ho as possible mm-hmm. when I was kind of working through my own stuff and my own anxieties about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
And now, I was going to say, and now she's like, that was amazing. But, you know, obviously never seen anything like that in my life. And that was crazy and one of the most absolutely incredible things I've ever witnessed. Yeah. She's like, I still don't entirely know how to process that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, as an experience. It, it does. It takes, it takes a while. And it is so different for partners. Um, yeah. It's, it, so, yeah, that's... Well, I would love to hear your story, your birth story. Yeah, so on, let's see, it was, it was March 2nd, and I was... So when I had um, Francesca, I was... Three weeks and four days when she was born, and actually, I think when she was born is forty weeks and five days. So I went into labor uh, four days past my my due date, and I hadn't. I had been having um, Braxton Hicks to some extent for a while, for about three weeks, three and a half weeks, and so I was at that point pretty eager, um, definitely kind of, you know, not wanting to be done being pregnant, but also in that really weird window of, like, when is this going to happen? Mm. And and also sort of looking at, okay, I'm pushing up against induction, you know, what's going to happen with that? And definitely kind of not wanting that to happen if possible. So I we were at home and watching a movie, and just kind of hanging out, and I started to have uh, sort of stronger twinges than what the Braxton Hicks had felt like before. Mm. And I kind of just started to notice it, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, leading up to that time, I had had a handful of what I would sort of say is like weird sensations. So one night prior, um, I felt kind of just tingly all over for about mm. three hours. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. And mm-hmm. this kick-starting something. You know, it's interesting because I feel like the last couple of weeks, maybe even a month of pregnancy, are a lot like the first month, two months of pregnancy, where the hypervigilance over every sensation mm. kind of comes back in. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this? And what does this mean? And is this this? And should I do this? And so the questioning kind of comes back in in the same way. And similarly, um, you know, I began, like, looking at my underwear. Like, is there any blood in there? Mm. Is my discharge different? But with you such know, a different mindset of, like, eagerly looking exactly. for it. Yeah, totally. And so just like, paying attention to all of that again was really interesting. So, yeah, so we were watching a movie, and I started to have kind of twinges much more strongly. And after about an hour and a half of that, I realized that they weren't stopping in the ways that they had before. Mm-hmm. So I tried a couple different positions, tried drinking water, some of the things that I would usually do, and they weren't really um, on any kind of pattern, but just not stopping. So it was like seven minutes, then 10 minutes, then three minutes, then 13 minutes, and so I just had the timer on, and I kind of just started checking it out Mm -hmm. over a period of time. And after about an hour of that the end of the movie, um, things had felt a little bit more strong, so I got the big exercise ball, and I sort of leaned over it, and just kind of on my knees sort of rolled around while watching the movie, and I didn't really realize this at the time, but, you know, Priscilla said she noticed that, that I started to get into a pretty rhythmic breathing at that mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. and that my breathing kind of got super patterned, and that was when she noticed that it wasn't really stopping completely it was kind of keep going mm-hmm. so you know we called Sarah and said okay so hey maybe something um this seems like a beginning to something 
And she said, okay, you know, maybe relax, just hang out, do the best she can to sleep. This was about 9.30 at night. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of getting to be the time when I could sleep, and that would make sense. So we just, we hung around. Um, I ate a little bit. We just kind of kept it easy. And then about 11.30, um, I started to feel things more strongly at that point. Actually, right around midnight. Got in the shower, spent about half an hour, 40 minutes in the shower. Um, and Sarah suggested that I could take, um, I know you've mentioned this before in the podcast, that I could have like a glass of wine and a couple of Benadryl. Mm-hmm. And which I think maybe you did. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. Did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, do I want that? So um, this was obviously a glass of wine to have in the shower. And I sipped on that some. But about the point where I could have taken the Benadryl, it sort of felt like things were intense enough mm. that it wouldn't make a difference or mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily want to at that point. Mm. And I was a little bit worried about being groggy. So I was like, okay, I'll just hang out in the shower. We went to bed. I told her, I was like, okay, I have a feeling that you need to get a nap because if this is going on, this might be your only window of opportunity to mm-hmm. try and So she laid down. We turned off all the lights. I sort of propped myself up on some pillows. And I started to kind of doze in and out between what felt like contractions. Mm-hmm. And I think she was asleep. I was in and out of sleep for maybe about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And she slept for about an hour and a half, at which point I woke her up and I was like, okay, I need your help. Like, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't quite do this by myself anymore. Mm-hmm. So we brought, we brought the birth ball onto the bed leaned it up against the headboard and I kind of moved over it facing the headboard mm. on my knees and kind of tried to roll around it on the bed because being on the ground um, was a little bit hard on my knees at that point mm-hmm. and then pretty much from there through the next few hours really the position that felt the best was like that and I call it like gorilla position mm-hmm. that's what it felt like mm-hmm. I was on uh, I was on all fours but up on my up on my haunches a little bit with my knuckles mm-hmm. out and forward, just leaning in and forward on my knuckles. Mm. And I just kept um, the vocalizations that felt um, really good were to sort of say like low and slow, like mm. both those words. Mm. During the contraction, like oh, like that, like really deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and where were you and feeling the contractions mostly? So I was, I was feeling them really strongly in the pelvis, but actually, surprisingly, I was feeling them through my back mm-hmm. and my tailbone and my low back. And I had had some fear about back labor throughout my pregnancy, like really wanting to know sort of which way the baby was facing and where she was, because I think, again, sort of in terms of fear is a general and amorphous thing. I was like, oh, okay, I've heard back labor is the hardest, and maybe I can't do that, mm. and maybe that level of pain would be really hard for me. So I felt kind of avoidant of that. But Sarah had told me, she's like, no, no, your baby's not, you know, she's not sunny like, don't worry about that, you're great. So when it started to happen, I was like, oh, shit, like, it's happening. <laughs> this is what it is. I only feel it in my back. I think I had gosh, maybe 15 minutes where I felt it through the front of my body. Mm. And then really it was completely, the rest of it was completely centered in my back and in my
But what really worked was that leaning forward and then during the contraction having Priscilla kind of really with her knuckles and like the flat of her knuckles apply as much pressure to my low back as possible. Mm. And so really needing to kind of have her there through most of the contractions. At one point I went and straddled the toilet Mm -hmm. and had her kind of push that way. That worked a little bit. A lot of it was really just, okay, this is working until it's not working so well. Yep. <laughs> and then trying to, try to find something else that felt better and that worked. Um, and pretty much around, like, 3, 4 a.m., called Sarah again. We did have a doula whose name was also Sarah. And we had <laughs> called her a bunch of times and sort of gave her the heads up and told her that we would maybe want her to come out around, like, 5, 6 a.m., given how things were looking. And then we called midwife Sarah, and she listened to me for a while and said, you know, it doesn't feel like you're super-duper far along. Um, let's give it some time. If it feels like things really, really ramp up, call me. But I was definitely having sensations like I knew things were really picking up. I think at that point my contractions were maybe about three minutes apart, four mm-hmm. minutes apart. Mm-hmm. And it was intensifying in a way, you know, kind of like, you hear about and I had read which is that I couldn't really talk anymore Mm -hmm. when I was having a contraction it was taking all my focus and all my attention and there wasn't I wasn't able to do anything else when I was having a contraction Mm -hmm. so we kind of stayed in that space again I was sort of moving around having Priscilla a lot um I got back in the shower the warm water felt really good kind of tried to stay in there at that point um the doula came and the focus for them, for her and for Priscilla, to some extent, got to be focusing on the tub and getting the tub up and getting it full of water. And we had some fun snafus around <laughs> around the hose <laughs> and the attachment for the shower. I would definitely encourage any listeners, if possible, to catch out your your setup for the tub <laughs> ahead of time. Um, yes. But, you know, I feel like we did actually everything else, and that was the one thing we didn't do, mm-hmm. is we didn't, we didn't test the hose attachment. It just, I think something falls through the cracks. You know, it's got to be one thing you yeah. forget yep. in the whole of it. So that was it, and the attachment didn't work. So there was um, a mad dash to Home Depot <laughs> to get a different shower head hose attachment oh my goodness from my shower yeah reach from the top but meanwhile there was a lot of like boiling water trying to get hot water trying to fill it so at this point I'm in the bathroom and I'm kind of in and out of being on all fours and leaning forward trying to not fixate on the top um in my head I was thinking a lot about just needing something different sensation wise Mm -hmm. because the sensation of it being, contractions being in my back um, had been a lot at that point. And I was really feeling like, okay, I just need a break or something else to feel. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to not be a little bit like, where's the top? Oh my God, can I get on the top? Already? Yep. Just, okay, I'm going to be on the ground. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to think about that. Everyone is doing the best they can. Um, Sarah arrived and she checked me and at that point I was at seven plus almost eight centimeters. Wow. So that's amazing. Yeah. She said in retrospect that based on the way I was vocalizing, she thought I was maybe at three or four Wow. and that I had, I had a ways to go. So, you know, it's funny. She has sort of shared and my partner has shared and even the doula has said, you know, you seemed very calm a lot of the time. You know, you were so much more quiet than 
kind of happens, mm. you know, and even now, I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> like, what, what? That's not true, because in my experience, I was making so much noise, and I was like, oh, and I was just going for it, and mm-hmm. I was kidding. And also, also, what's funny is, in my experience, I was very irritable. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I was pissed at people, you know, I was like... <laughs> don't do that, do that. But I guess that was happening internally. Mm. And I guess I didn't say a lot of that out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, and nobody, nobody um, reflects on knowing that mm. about me. Wow. <laughs> so clearly I was having a very internal experience. Yes. Very strong for me. Um, but the other thing was that because of the back labor and the sensation of it, I was quite nauseous. Oh, no. And I threw up quite a few times. And so part of what everyone was trying to do was um, give me peanut butter, give me honey, help me. We had made Gatorade popsicles ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, give me Gatorade popsicles, keep water in me. And that was definitely one of the things that in my head I was very irritable about. So mm. everyone being very lovely was like, okay, spoon full of honey. And in my head I was like, get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. You know, I really became very, very avoidant mm-hmm. to throwing up. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of stopped drinking water and stopped wanting to eat anything or have that happen because I was like, I just need to not have, I need to not throw up. Yeah. That's kind of one too many things going on right now. Mm-hmm. So I did, I think they did manage to kind of get some food and water in me over the time. And Priscilla has shared being very concerned because, um, so she works as a um, personal trainer mm-hmm. and does private training. And so she just sort of knows in terms of stamina that having any kind of calories and any kind of liquid is really important. So she's like, I just really wanted to keep trying to kind of get stuff into you as much as possible. Mm. Um, but there were definitely a couple of times where I remember being pretty
many, many times throughout my pregnancy around the labyrinth and around sort of the underworld and the journey and everything that she talks about. And it was sort of at that time that I kind of went into that mm. and and into the visualization of being in the labyrinth and feeling like you're getting to the center mm-hmm. and then making a left, mm. basically, mm-hmm. and being kind of kicked off the central progression into something else. Mm-hmm. And, and that was what I sort of shifted into thinking, like, okay, this is my left. I don't get to have this be the way I want it physically right now. I am on what felt like the verge of some amount of suffering, Mm. like really struggling with this one sensation happening. I can't escape it, Mm -hmm. and it was starting to kind of wear on me that I couldn't control escaping it. Mm -hmm. And and sort of that, the, the visual of metamorphosis and going with it and... And I believe it's, so, um, and then she talks about the sort of character of, um, I believe it's Inanna, mm-hmm. is the name of her, yeah, and how she sort of shed these layers and had these layers of herself, mm-hmm. and all of her coverings taken away, she went deeper, and then she completely transformed, mm-hmm. and that that's what it felt like, was sort of, okay, I'm really going all the way down, mm-hmm. and what does it feel like to just sort of give all these pieces of control up, and move all the way into this and to being afraid right now mm. of, of what's going to happen and how this feels and how it hurts. And what was going on physically is that because I was birthing in the forward position, um, there was a piece, Sarah called it a lip mm-hmm. of my cervix, mm-hmm. that, was not, that was not softening. It was kind of hanging out mm-hmm. and protrude, protruding just a little bit. Um, and it was a little bit tense and not softening as much as it needed to to kind of allow me to continue to dilate all the way. So what needed to happen was I needed to move into a different position. I was really uncomfortable. I needed to get off of all fours and get onto my back and get onto my side Mm. and be really, really uncomfortable and Mm. kind of deepen into the sensations in my back for a while to allow my cervix to soften. Um, Sarah gave me some arnica, Priscilla climbed in the tub with me, and I kind of leaned back on her. Mm. And actually during that time, I sort of started to go almost like in and out of sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really remember a lot about that. My eyes were sort of mostly closed and were kind of half open, and it was just really full in and out of contractions and kind of allowing that space and moment to really just take over completely mm-hmm. and not and it was not really very sort of in my thoughts at all during that time um we had we had a photographer um Rebecca Corsi who was here and she had arrived just before I got in the tub and so she took um a lot of pictures at that time and during that time I don't really sort of recall a lot of awareness of how it felt but there are many many pictures of me sort of very like quiet with my eyes closed in the tub in that Mm. moment. Um, And I feel like that was probably what moved things to the next position because then it started to feel like I needed to push. And then um, Sarah said that I could get onto the bed, which given um, how it was going to be best for my body to kind of stay in softness cervically, 
um, seemed like that was a good good way to try it. Mm-hmm. So um, we moved in there. I ended up being on my back, which I was really surprised about because sort of the ideas you have about birth and, you know, I was like, oh, I'm maybe going to want to be on all fours or squatting or that feels good for my body. Um, and I ended up just kind of being on my back and rolling from side to side, moving the baby out. Um, and I pushed for about an hour. And at one point... I, she said, you know, do you want to feel, do you want to feel the waters? Like, do you want to feel your sack? Or so I got to feel. And when I reached down, I was like, it was right there. And it was just crazy mm-hmm. and amazing. And pretty shortly after that, on a push, when she was kind of down all the way through my pelvis about to come out, my water broke. A part of it, you know, broke, some came out. Mm-hmm. And then I could feel her head and on some of those pushes, her head started to come halfway out. Mm. <laughs> that was, I think, after all of it, that was the craziest moment because her head was halfway and halfway out. Mm-hmm. And I didn't you know, touch her head. And I I think I think the best way to describe it is I freaked out. I was like, oh, my God, I have to push her out. I have to push her out. And then I looked at me and she said, are you having a contraction? And I said, no, but her head is it's just halfway out. It's just halfway there. Mm-hmm. She's like, well just, well, just wait until you have a contraction. And in my head, I was like, I can't leave her like that. I can't just hang out with the baby's head halfway happening, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, well, just let your body, let your, you know, let your tissues and your body take a chance to relax around her head. Mm-hmm. And on the next push, I think because I was so freaked out by that as a physical sensation and mm-hmm. even as an idea, I just pushed really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and her head, her head came out. Mm-hmm. And at that point, um, you know, Sarah started to kind of come to engage with the baby, to get her out the rest of the way. Um, she was just a little bit stuck, needed a wiggle. I was so excited that her head was out there. I said, oh, well, I think, you know, we maybe need to get you on all fours. And then I think I flipped over so fast. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I just remember kind of just flying over because I knew that once the baby's head was out, um, it was just her shoulders, and then it was going to happen. And I was so excited. I was filled with so much energy all of a sudden. I was like, okay, and it just flipped over. Um, and then I believe it was just kind of one or two pushes, a little bit of a pull, and she came out. And at that point, the rest of the water came out with her, which was quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And she had, um, I guess earlier, maybe in the week, she had pooped inside and so it was definitely a mess it was amazing um you know it was just kind of all over everywhere and then she was there and it was just crazy and I looked down and started to pick her up and you know rub her and talk to her and hold her and I was kind of stunned and I was crying and I was laughing and both kind of crying and laughing um and then it just kind of all went really fast from there but I remember looking down and she was just mm you know, small and gray and all of a sudden outside of my body and, you know, the umbilical cord was there. Um, and I will absolutely never forget that moment. It was truly, like, incredibly remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then afterwards, you know, Sarah took her, warmed her up, um, and you were there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was. And you were, yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's a very important part. Um, and... <laughs> I think, if I'm remembering correctly, because that part is all kind of a blur, but I think maybe you took her at one point, and she needed to be um, 
is it called? Does she need to be aspirated? Like she needed to have some of the fluid oh, yeah. taken out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of have her, her cough up some more fluid so that, you know, sometimes it sticks in her throat and then and just for her to then get lots of oxygen and, and pink up. And so, um, yeah. yeah, I think we probably just did it right there on the bed next to you, um, which can happen when, when all the water is behind the baby. Yes. And I had listened to, um, other podcasts sort of about that maybe being a possibility. I think one of them was actually one of your episodes Mm. where sometimes it does take a period of time for the baby to cry Mm -hmm. and to pick up and to take, to take a breath. Mm -hmm. And so I think thankfully as a result of having heard that before, I was not really worried Mm. about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I felt like the two of you really, you know, had her and were taking care of her. Um, and then pretty shortly, I think it was, I think it was less than a minute, she started to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took her a little bit to um, definitely get a full pink color. But then they got to hold her um, and try to breastfeed a little bit. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. And it really is, as you know, I've heard so many people say, that it's this sensation and it, it can be really painful, you know, and for me it was mostly just a super strong intensity of pressure, mm. but she was born and then it was done and mm. that was literally it and it stopped. It's and that whole, so wild. That whole, the whole sensation are gone and that's it for that. Which That's is amazing. which goes back, you know, to what you were saying, which is why it's also just such a sudden, like yeah. it, it's such a sudden thing because it's like you have, I mean, also that birth was quite fast as well for your first, you know. So that's mm-hmm. just out, like you, you know, you say in the in the months you have to sort of prepare for this idea of having a child, and then it's just in hours, and then also immediately it's done, and it's so yeah. surreal, and it's so crazy um that and then the baby's there and it's like wait you were just inside my body now you're not in my body anymore and what do you need and what's going on with you and Mm -hmm. how does this feel and it's yeah it's so incredible and so kind of shocking on some level and Mm. the the feeling of overwhelm Mm. and joy is so incredible and then I think just having just done that you know sort of the sensation of almost like having run a marathon or mm. having completed this really intense thing, but then really immediately that shift that happens in that moment to, oh my gosh, my baby's here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment when it goes from, okay, me and my body and it's all me to, okay, my body had that experience, but now you, mm-hmm. like, hey, you, okay, mm-hmm. now we're doing this. Yep. And sometimes it that's yeah. it is it is helpful to you know, and now given like what's happening, you know, not a lot of people are going to be having people over to talk about the birth story. But even doing it virtually, like so you'd sometimes in that first week, just kind of need to. I mean, people are eagerly wanting to hear the birth story as well, but sometimes you just need to yeah. say it over and over again so it just can put all the pieces together. But then, so then you yeah. can kind of like somewhat you know, kind of move, move on from that chapter and then kind of, yeah, move into the space of like now here, breastfeeding, recovery, you know, all the, all the demands that it, it, it requires all of a sudden. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's so much to, to try to like file away because it's just such a, it's such a, um, yeah, out of, out of world experience. 
it's been interesting to talk to Priscilla about her perspective, having been there and sort of seeing and witnessing all of it, mm. um, and kind of getting other people's perspectives and, you know, seeing the pictures. And I think, honestly, I maybe haven't had, and I don't know that maybe I ever will, but I don't think I've had a full realization moment of my birth mm. and of that, like, really having happened. Mm. It's almost, I think the best way I can articulate it is it hasn't completely hit me the depth of that experience in really feeling that and sitting with that. I think mm. I've had moments of it and pieces of it, but life has kind of subsequently moved so fast. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, I sort of wonder when I will experience that or if I necessarily will, you know, Priscilla will say to me, she'll say something like, you did that, you know, and I'll be mm. holding the baby or feeding her and she'll be like, you, you birthed her, you know, mm. you made her in your body. And I'll look at her and be like, yeah, I did, but it kind of doesn't land somewhere. Mm-hmm. It feels, still feels so wild. Like, mm-hmm. I know it happens, but, yeah, I I think, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk to many other birthing folks about this, but I am really curious if it feels like people have had a moment of, oh, my gosh, like, that happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, I did that, or I just did that, if that's something that, lands for people and like how that lands Mm. and sometimes it it is there is a delay you know it's months down the road as you get to know her more and that connection grows more there's this real feeling of like of of attachment and connection and then really understanding and honoring like that yeah you you did that you know and 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 you made her and um and she came from priscilla and it's just this amazing amazing experience um that it does hit you sometimes delayed as well and that um is an interesting yeah feeling and and different level of like being overwhelmed as well of of awe and gratitude and love and um yeah and there's just really you know even with all of the amazing things I mean it's like I've been really lucky you know and challenged to feel a lot physically in my life and have a lot of experiences around you know, sensation and pleasure and pain and all these things. And even with all of that, there's just nothing else like it. Mm-hmm. I really, I really can't compare it to anything mm-hmm. after all of it. It is such a unique physical experience to have. I think sometimes it feels like my brain doesn't even really know where to put it. And so creating space to really kind of metabolize it almost yeah. as a physical experience. Mm-hmm. And, and that I kind of think goes nicely into like, you know, Partly, you know, the, the first 40 days is the idea of it of lying in with your baby um, for definitely it's not in our culture. It's in many, many Eastern cultures where they do that. And um, I think part of it is to physically recover, but also emotionally and, and you know, mentally process um, and process what happened. And um, but but also there is the like giving yourself that time to be productive by laying there and having your body make milk and, and, and and then bonding and, and like creating all these synapses in your baby's brain by staring at them, you know, all the time. Um, so, you know, I mean, what are, and it's still so early for you. Um, and it's, but I was just wondering if there's any sort of like you know, how, how did you feel like you got to kind of fill your tank again, you know, so to speak of like your, your 
your cup, your, your, you know, so, cause it is now it's the time in which like you are, it is a lot of output, you know, of, of energy. And, um, and if you found ways in this time, um, to, or even earlier on, you know, like to feel like there are, you're feeding bits of Elizabeth pre, you know, baby and, and kind of helping her come forward this way as well. Well, I think it's so it's an interesting question in this time because I think that, you know, again, I always want to be really, like, cognizant of not not kind of having what I'm going through be with a lack of gratitude because I think that there is so much to be grateful for, but that definitely, I think if there is sort of any, like, personal fallout that I've had from, from COVID-19 in this time, it's that I haven't really been able to do very much of what, you know, what is in that question, um, because there, I have not really definitely had any of my usual tools, so I think, like, being able to move my body, being able to see people, uh, being able to get physically touched by people beyond um, Priscilla, who is absolutely doing her best, and has definitely been super helpful, like, our connection and what she's done to sort of help me like feel my body and feel like a person Mm -hmm. and you know wherever she can kind of give me moments um is really helpful also though kind of complicated because you know we've tried with a lack of other tools and kind of outlets we've tried as much as possible to sort of say like okay you go take a shower and like have that moment and and show me with the baby but what's what's interesting about it's kind of like good and hard because there's also this huge part of me that doesn't want to be away from the baby totally so, so unless she's sleeping, I'm like, what is she doing? And what are you guys doing? And no, I don't want to be away from her. And mm-hmm. I don't really need a shower, but I need a shower. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that happens often. Mm-hmm. But, but I think the things that I would usually do to fill my cup, um, unfortunately, not a lot of them are available right now. Mm-hmm. And it's been a process of trying to find new things. So mm. I think things that help are kind of doing the best I can to connect with people. Um, I do see some of my girlfriends, you know, like everyone else instead of having the like Zoom Zoom meetings, mm-hmm. um, you know, where I can and visiting with people on the computer. Um, but I think what's hard about that is that there's sort of a distance that happens around seeing people on the computer mm-hmm. because it feels like it's better than nothing, but sometimes it feels like it's almost sort of more output. Mm-hmm. So to find the time and energy to text or write back or have a phone call or a Zoom meeting. Sometimes in all of the all of the things that I'm doing in the day, it feels like I don't have the energy or space for that, but I want that connection because it really is all that's available mm-hmm. is to do it that way. Um, I've tried some kinds of movement. Um, it's funny, actually, I was really really inspired I'm not really a runner at all mm-hmm. but I think that it was probably as a result of you know feeling cabin fever at all and feeling you know I'm definitely the personality that when you tell me you know I can't do something I'm like well, that's what I want to do so mm-hmm. you know wanting to be outside like wanting to feel free again instead of the theme of freedom so right around a month postpartum I really wanted to like go jogging mm-hmm. um, and I knew I wasn't supposed to I thought, okay, do I do this? Do I not do this? But there was like, really just please, like, let your body heal. Mm-hmm. You know, just please just be gentle to yourself. Don't do anything crazy. Um, but I really just 
physically, like, all the way through my body, just wanted to, like, run. Yeah. Just wanted to kind of get, like, I call it, like, getting my yayas out. Yeah. Um, I just feel like, okay, I'm, I'm holding this anxiety, I'm scared about things, I'm worried about, you know, this time and what's going on, I just need a place to just kind of, like, feel wild and run. Yeah. So, I didn't, I didn't do it right then, but I think it was about a week later, um, I just kind of started to jump to see how it felt, and I was like, okay, well, something hurts, or this doesn't feel good, um, then I'll, I'll slow down and I'll stop. Um, and it, it thus far has worked out okay and that's been kind of helpful. Like we'll go outside and take walks as much as possible. Um, definitely trying, it is of course the challenge with a newborn, um, but trying to get sleep, like trying to do the napping when baby nap situation, which uh, not surprisingly, because everyone told me, they're like, that's really hard to do. Like, you want to do the dishes, and you want to do mm-hmm. those things, and that's so incredibly true. Mm-hmm. Um, she's napping, and I'm like, I have 10 things I have to do, but mm-hmm. trying to sometimes take naps. Um, and then I think, overall, it's not necessarily filling my cup, but I think it's trying to be as kind to myself as possible, and as gentle with myself as possible. So, really, right now, that looks like as best I can, being aware of when I'm self-judging, mm. um, like when I'm judgmental of having anxiety or when I'm judgmental of worrying about, you know, COVID or worrying about my family, um, when I'm judgmental of how I feel physically or what I do and don't want to do, um, trying to recognize, okay, that's a really crappy voice. I don't need that to add to the mix. Mm. Like... Um, for instance, I, I really am in a space right now where I need to just kind of check on the baby a few times when she's sleeping. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I was really judgmental, like, okay, just, your baby's fine. Like, be confident. Why are you letting this worry you so much? Mm-hmm. And at some point, I was like, okay, that judgment's not helping because I'm still going to check on the baby. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Like, this is actually helping me feel better. Mm-hmm. Being judgmental of that is not Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, while, yeah, there's not things that are specifically like, yeah, you said filling your cup, it's kind of just like bringing a new cup to the table, you know, and, and looking at it in a different way and, um, which is challenging and, and, and bizarre that it is this collective experience. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's a collective experience as far as the connection goes, but also, um, yeah, I mean, definitely on to, on top of the the postpartum and um, and time with your baby, but that's just yeah. so wise and so helpful and um, yeah. inspiring, truly. So, yeah, I mean, thank you so much, Elizabeth. This has been I could talk to you forever and ever about everything. <laughs> You're so you. amazing, and and 
yeah, inspiring, as I said. So thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for taking the time, um, especially away from beautiful Francesca. And, and maybe, maybe she's right there. We don't know. She's very, <laughs> very quiet. Oh, yeah, no, Priscilla was hanging out with her in the other room. I think she might have hopefully gone down by an app right before this. Oh. But yeah, yeah, but thank you. I absolutely just love this podcast, and it has been so inspiring for me. So to hear you say that feels amazing, and I really am so happy we could do this. Me too. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks for listening to Milk Trails. I'm your host and midwife, Haley Oaks. Be sure to visit midwifemilktrails.tumblr.com to access the show's notes, view photographs, or leave your comments. Stay tuned about new episodes by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and tell all your pregnant friends about it. We'll catch you next time.